and welcome to another episode of Get Wrecked here at Play Along Podcast. My name is Ben and I'm joined today by a lovely guest that I'll introduce in a second. If you guys aren't familiar with Get Wrecked, it's a series where we trade game room recommendations with friends of the show, other podcasters, whoever, really, um, and then basically get together to talk about them. So today I'm joined by Bill. How are you doing, Bill? Uh, I'm doing fairly well. It's uh, We kind of have a hurricane that's supposed to come up uh, in my area this week. It hasn't shown up yet, so I'm hoping it was just the news freaking out for no reason. But Oh, well, God, fingers crossed for you. Yeah. Um, but do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners and sort of explain a bit about what it is you do? Because you're quite a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, Bill. I'm the co-host of two different podcasts. My main podcast is... Uh, gaming and collecting it is a uh gaming and anime based nostalgia podcast i host with my uh sister alex where we uh, talk about a whole bunch of different games from our childhoods uh, we also talk about anime every now and then or we'll just do kind of like a random kind of a pop culture topic every now and then um it, it it's pretty much it's very casual it's just basically a brother and a sister just shooting the shit for an, an hour every now and then uh sometimes we'll bring a guest on and <laughs> introduce them to our insane world that we have um then my other show is the 3do experience that is a um retrospective podcast where we talk about the 3do console the company behind it and like everything in between i host that with um my co-host uh thrack and uh we put out an episode kind of every week where we talk about either a different game that was originally released on the system or maybe we'll talk about a weird oddity of the system like how it had one controller port and you would have to daisy chain the rest of the controllers together to play multiplayer it was an interesting idea for the time i guess you could say <laughs> yeah i've listened to uh, a couple of the episodes of the gaming collecting and um yeah i think to, to say it's chaotic i think is is fair it's a good kind of chaotic um alex definitely brings something to the show in, the, the best part way. about the best part about Alex is half the time I'm not sure if she's doing this as a joke or this is just how she actually <laughs> is sometimes. So it's just I've kind of just accepted she's it's it's a brother and a sister relationship and that's kind of that's kind of how we go with it. Yeah, it works though. I was listening to um, the <clears throat> Nintendogs episode the other mm. day um, because I literally we was in like a secondhand store. I bought a copy of it for my other half. Oh, um, nice. And I saw you guys had an episode on it. And yeah, like you said, it's literally just brother and sister shooting the shit and just kind of dicking about and having a laugh. Um, like My favorite part of that episode is where Alex mentions that she got the ugliest dog she can find and named it after yeah. me. And I was like, thanks, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a good time. But I I wasn't aware that you had the 3DO um podcast so talk to me a bit about that because that's a very interesting topic to base a podcast around so the 3do experience i originally started it last year i got three episodes in and then realized i can't cover i can't really carry a show on my own very well so it kind of got shelved for a while and then i recently brought it back um a couple months ago uh with a uh, thrack who's another uh podcaster who's kind of making his round he's kind of making the rounds around the podcasting community but for what the show is is a uh, ba basically what inspired it is like i'm a huge like retro collector like i have like games up the wazoo 
Hmm. Um, I've been collecting since like 2009 and I've always had a fascination for the 3DO. Like for some reason, like that, that console always just stuck out to me as like the one that like, there's gotta be more behind it than like just kind of this weird kind of before PlayStation, but like after super Nintendo Genesis kind of system that was very ahead of its time, but also made a lot of very poor decisions that basically condemned it to a failure. Mm, um, it's like a missing link, isn't it? Like when you kind of look at the game in history, it's very much like it's a console that should have succeeded, but didn't because of the entire idea behind it was essentially they were trying to do like a, a, a media standard with video games where, you know how like for like, say the movie market, we have like, blu-rays or those ultra 4k blu-rays now that's kind of the standard mm-hmm. yeah the idea was they were going to do the same thing for video games where like 3do would become the standard and everything would just be based around 3do and the idea was like the company the 3do company like, designed the hardware and then they would send out the specs to different companies that were interested in um, making 3dos so famously panasonic made the the most iconic ones but there was also gold star variants there was a Japan had the Sanyo variant, and then there was also the Creative Labs, which was a, it was like a card that you'd put in like an old DOS PC and you could play 3DO on your computer. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> the problem with 3DO was, though, like the, the biggest killing factor for why the, it didn't succeed was they tried to use like the razor and the blades mentality where you don't make money off the razor, you make the money off the blades. Mm. And because of this the companies making 3do had to sell it for what it was worth because 3do was making all the money off the games panasonic and meanwhile was like made this really overly designed console and realized shit this thing's kind of expensive so they had to sell it for 700 dollars in 1993 which nowadays would probably be like 1200 so yeah that's like a that's like a mid-high gaming pc that's a lot of money yeah so it, it it very much it, it's very clear why the system failed and then the games for the most part are pretty good the the only downside is all the ones that are worth playing have since been ported to playstation or saturn or n64 and unless you're like a super like into that style of like history or like kind of like me where you just like the 3do for whatever reason there's really no reason to own it so like one of the main things we've decided to do with the uh the show is we'll end every game review episode basically saying whether the game is a must play an okay or a stay away and so far we've only had one unanimous must play and that was actually 3do road rash which is arguably the best version of road rash i didn't even know it was on 3do Hmm. like did you know need for speed debuted on the 3do (laughs) no i didn't this is all news to me Mm. okay wow yeah, because uh, 3DO was founded by uh, uh, Trip Hawkins, who was the founder of EA. It's all making sense now. <laughs> it, it's a fascinating system. Like That's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to really just kind of dive into it with a podcast, because no one really talks about it. And honestly, I love obscure consoles like that, just because there's so much history to them, and mm. it's not out there. So does it does it interest you seeing like what bits of the 3DO have been like used to 
make consoles going forward or like what function like especially in that immediate generation afterwards where you had like the first playstation and and things like that um it's fascinating to see like what ideas 3do came up with were carried over because a lot of one thing that i always joke about 3do like it's a running joke i have throughout the series right now is that every 3do game you boot up the menus are just weird because like companies didn't know how to really do menus like (laughs) these kind of games yet um i also joke that the system had onboard memory like um it had like its own ram the problem was there was no way to access the the memory on the original uh models of the console so you would have to buy a separate disc just to manage your memory which was interesting um, yeah that's (laughs) that's an interesting choice yeah um also the multiplayer idea of like daisy chaining controllers together kind of interesting idea because it saved on money on putting like controller ports in the console but at the same time that's just a weird idea like design choice Mm. i mean it did end up going over i remember having like a multi-tap for my ps1 Mm. uh the the funny part about it is to though like we always joke saying how like say you're playing because believe it or not 3do games could go up to like six players so you had six controllers daisy chained and the the 3DO had enough power coming from the 3DO itself to power all six of those controllers on one cord, which I find incredibly interesting, just like how the thing was designed. The the thing with it, though, that I find really funny is, say you're playing a six-player like party game or something, and uh, say player one, player two pisses off player one, player one can just unplug player two because oh, the God, controller yeah. port is in the car, in, the control port is in the controller. But if you did that, then you also screw over players three through six. So it's, <laughs> I, it's such a, a weird, lot of trust in people. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very weird design choice that I find very entertaining, but also very. You can see why they didn't stick with it for future consoles. Yeah. So just off the back of the the sort of collecting side of stuff, I guess I'm interested because I kind of contemplated the idea of beginning collecting stuff during the covid pandemic because i sort of had got to a point where i was a bit more sort of sensible with my money i had a bit more money spare so i could kind of invest it so as someone who's been collecting from like like you know the late noise have you seen like any kind of major shift in the the secondhand market the collecting market it changes every month, like every month. It's insane how unstable the market is. Like there, there's a crash coming at some point. Like it's going to, uh, the bubble's going to burst and like everything's mm. just going to crash pretty soon. Um, so back in 2009, when I started, like it was a completely different scope. Like nobody cared about all this stuff. So like you could like go to like a retro store and just find like, all sorts of PlayStation games, like old N64 games, Super Nintendo stuff, just for nothing. And then it would be like, over the years, it just slowly started spiking. Mm-hmm. Um, so like certain consoles, like Sega Saturn, that's always been expensive, just because Sega Saturn stuff's just hard to find in general, mm. uh, especially because the Saturn in... So it's confusing with Saturn because every region had different cases. Uh, in America, we had those obnoxiously large like jewel cases and those were very easy those broke very easily and were damaged so finding those complete is very difficult 
Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in Japan, they had tiny standard jewel cases, which hold up much easier. I think Europe had the cardboard boxes, which I think held up even worse than the God. American cases. Yeah, that sounds like a very bad idea to keep a game in. Yeah. Um, but then you look at like other things, like bro, the longest like Xbox stuff no one cares about. Like You can get anything original Xbox 360 for basically nothing. Um, I think it's just because Xbox stuff was highly produced, and mm. there isn't a lot of collectors going after it so it's just a very easy demand but then nintendo stuff is where it gets interesting because nintendo stuff goes through cycles like when i first got into collecting like nes was the big thing and Mm -hmm. that was really expensive then it kind of a few years go by and it shifted over to super nintendo then to n64 and currently we're in the gamecube boom Mm -hmm. because all those all the gamecube kids are now adults and they have money now and they want their stuff back yep so the problem is though th- this is where it gets confusing like difficult is a lot of people don't realize it because of uh, nostalgia but the GameCube was kind of a failure of a console in terms of sales. Oh really? Well it's it, it's actually really funny if you look at the uh, the the gap between PS2 cuz PS2 is the best selling video game console of all time as mm-hmm. of now the, the Switch is catching it it's actually fascinating to watch but um the uh, the gap between PS2 and Xbox was like massive, and yeah. then there was an even bigger gap between Xbox and GameCube. So, the GameCube did not actually sell as well as people nostalgically like to think it did. And yeah. because, because of that, there's not a lot of GameCube stuff out there. So, like co- people trying to collect it now, it's like it's really hard to find, and it's all just super expensive. Meanwhile. Yeah when I was collecting GameCube stuff, this was right after GameCube was discontinued and it was bargain bins everywhere. Like you just, Oh man, like $5 a game. So I just sniped all those. Cause I didn't have a job or, well, no, I had a job, but I didn't have any, I didn't have any responsibilities at the time. So I was stupid with my money and just bought a bunch of shit. That yeah. I didn't need. Well, I mean, I recently, I bought a GameCube uh, like 2021, I think I got. I found it for like 40, 40 bucks, and I was like, "Yeah, mm. that's that's pretty good for a GameCube." Um, considering all the stuff behind it, like box Nintendo 64s were going for like 180, 190 bucks. Um, and then I started trying to buy games for the GameCube, and that was a nightmare. I wanted a copy of the original Luigi's Mansion that was like 40 bucks. Yeah, uh, Thousand Year Door was like 35, 40 bucks, and I was just like, "Oh man, this is." Like I can't get the library I want, and so I, I thought it's... it was just kind of because of like mm. post-COVID stuff. But it's interesting to learn it kind of goes in cycles. So I know you're over in a uh, the United Kingdom, right? Yes. It... Yeah. Okay. So I know over in like the EU, it's very different compared to America. Like the American market and European markets are like almost their own separate things. Wow. Some things in some things in Europe are more expensive. Mm. than they are in america but then some things in america are more expensive than they are in europe like to me like a f- one that i find really funny is like the futurama game in america that game is like hundreds of dollars but in europe really? apparently yeah in europe it's fairly like 40 bucks so in in the uk there's like a bright uh, chain called cex um mm-hmm. they're like the biggest sort of secondhand buy and selling chain they're selling it for 20 bucks yep <laughs> so which fun fact, he, Go on, go on. 
I was going to say fun fact: CEXs were very briefly over here. Um, oh, really? They last about yeah, they last about three months. <laughs> wow, twenty five dollars apparently. Yep. Um, in, in America, that's about a hundred to two hundred dollars. It's interesting. CEX is like a fucking monopoly over here. They're like one on every corner, um, and they're, they're okay. Some of their fins are quite expensive, but they do a twenty four month warranty, which on second hand stuff is like really good. The the best purchase I got from CEX was I. Oh, well, there's two things. I found a copy of Metal Gear Solid: The Twin Snakes for GameCube for. Twelve dollars, which I was like, sweet, because that's a hundred dollars now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got like twelve PS2 memory cards for like ten bucks. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, all right, I'm okay with this. Yeah, some of that stuff's really great, but then like I went in there. That's where I got the copy of Nintendo from for my other half. Um, and she she doesn't really play many games. She's only sort of got into it in the last couple of years. So it's really. <laughs> It's weird to say out loud. She was like, "What's a Dreamcast?" And I was like, "Oh fuck!" Um, but they were sending the Dreamcast for like two hundred and eighty bucks, which is fucking ridiculous. It's like over three hundred dollars. Like, so you know what the funniest part about Dreamcast is? That was the console that actually got me into collecting because um, that was the console I got in '09 that really kind of kickstarted it. Mm. You know how much I paid for my Dreamcast? <laughs> God, twenty dollars, brand new in a box. Wow, how did you swindle that? 2009 in the US, no one cared about Dreamcast. It was just a thing that existed. Mm. Um, and then by like the yeah, because 2009, you got to remember YouTube was still kind of it was that Wild West period where it wasn't really this like a uh, conglomerate it is now. Yeah, so none of the big YouTubers were really like the biggest one at the time was like Classic Game Room, like because that's how I discovered Dreamcast and um. Since then, everyone, everybody talks about Dreamcast now. So, like mm-hmm. the, the hype and demand for it is so massive now that like everyone's getting into it, and it's a really cool retro console. So, awesome. Well, uh, I should probably stop this because we'll end up talking <laughs> about retro games and collecting and stuff for ages. So, we're going to do a complete U-turn and we're going to go into our first game, which is uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World the game So originally released uh, digitally for the Xbox 360 and the PS3, the game was released back in August of 2010 and then was delisted in December of 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before we go into sort of the depths of it, I want to find out because this was the game that you had recommended to me. So, yes. what's what's your history with Scott Pilgrim versus the World the game? So. 
I was a huge fan of like the uh, original graphic novels, like the comic books, like back in uh, the day, like I had the original, so you can probably see them in the background there on my shelf back there somewhere. But um, yeah, yeah, I was a big fan of those, uh, the original graphic novels. And then I also bought the color re-releases later on when those uh, came out. And I was also a huge fan of the film as well. So mm-hmm. when I saw that they were making a game based off of books, I was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. So I was looking into it and then I saw it was like a 16 bit style beat em up that uh, was very reminiscent of like games like River City Ransom or like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fighters back in the day. Um, so I kind of like was optimistic when I saw all the trailers for it. I was like, okay, this could actually be a pretty fun one. So in 2010, when it came out on PSN, I downloaded it and I was hooked for like a good like month just playing that game nonstop. I bought the DLCs when they came out and then it just disappeared <laughs> like it, i had it on my ps3 all that t- it still is on my ps3 actually because i'll never delete it but um mm. the only way you could play it was you'd had to pull out the old the ps3 or the 360 if you still had it and then for years like it was just a lost game to time yeah and then i think um i just wanted to double yeah it was because of the 10 year anniversary um edgar wright and the other guy Forget whose name it was. It was involved. Oh, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. Yes, that's it. Yeah, O'Malley. Yeah, they both started um, tweeting Ubisoft and basically asking because it was delisted because of like a license issue or something. Yeah, Ubisoft lost the license at the time, and Ubisoft actually made the game like a Ubisoft Montreal, their their powerhouse that makes everything over there. Um, mm-hmm. And it was weird because it was like a weird licensing snafu between Oni Press, the publisher of the books, uh, Universal, who released the film, and then Ubisoft, who released the game. And it was kind of this like weird mess where like no one really knew. Like there was a point where like the band that did the soundtrack, Anamana Gucci, was blamed for taking it down. And they were like, no, <laughs> we had nothing to do with it. We're kind of annoyed too. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, and Brian Lee O'Malley, the author of the books, was basically trying to get it back for like years. And then finally the stars aligned and they got it worked out so it could be re-released plus got a physical now. So it's, we thankfully it's preserved now forever. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it got re-released in 2020. Uh, they called it the complete edition. So it was a remaster of the original game and it had the DLC and it released on Nintendo Switch, PS4, Windows, Xbox One, Amazon Luna, and Stadia, which is very interesting to read. Um, and then in 2021, early 2021, Limited Run Games uh, released a physical version of it. So I, my personal... This is going to be very, very interesting because I had never watched Scott Pilgrim until like maybe like the beginning of this year i think that was my mm-hmm. first time watching it um me and ellie watched it and i liked it i liked it it was definitely um this is probably gonna hurt some people it's definitely not as good as people told me it would be it's one of those things that's got a very hardcore cult following and a mm. lot of people really really love it and watching it for the first time in like the 2020s i was like oh this is good i mean i love edgar wright edgar wright is a fucking amazing director 
And so that's kind of what pulled me to it. And mm. it's very typical Edgar Wright in its direction, the very quick snapshots that sort of move from character to character and fin to fin. So I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but it was definitely um, didn't live up to the hype that people gave it. Yeah, when it came out, it was it was a very big deal because mm-hmm. like the books were. So the books actually, when it was first announced that the movie was in production, the books weren't even done yet, which is why. Oh, the, wow, okay. So that's why the movie kind of differs from the books in mm. certain aspects because the books kind of. The, the movie kind of ends abruptly um, somewhat compared to like how the books have a much more flat, like complete feeling ending because mm-hmm. they weren't done with production yet at the time, obviously. So they kind of had to work with the outline that O'Malley gave, I'm assuming gave uh, Edgar Wright to make the film. But yeah. the film itself, honestly, is a very good adaption. Like it feels like the books. Um I will say it is somewhat overhyped because like I've rewatched it recently and I kind of agree. I'm like, it's not as amazing as I first remember, but I still like it because it is a good film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's one of those ones that like, if you're someone who is like heavily into pop culture and video games and stuff like that, you'll get lots of the little references and you'll mm. appreciate the whole kind of like arcade fighting style. Like where there's lots of like when, Scott Pilgrim like knocks out someone it will be very like KO and you're like oh okay yep. right I like that um but it's definitely yeah if you're if you've not seen it it's definitely it feels horrible to say but it doesn't live up to the hype that is it gets and I think a lot of it is kind of rose tinted glasses and how it's really strange because you can see watching it how it was so loved when it first come out mm. you can understand why it was as sort of loved as it is, but for a first timer, yeah. I also think like not reading if you if you haven't read the books, it's a little jarring going into the film because the film it's a it's very much a video game like pop culture heavy film, and there's a lot of jokes in it that like if you're not really in with that style of humor, you're gonna kind of like shake your head and go this is dumb but. yeah and i've i'd never read the books i've never since having watched the movie looking at the the graphic novels and the books and stuff that's like on my sort of to do eventually hmm. um but yeah it can be it can be quite jarring but i mean to bring it to the to the game i don't know about you i found the game even more jarring i don't know if you've gone and back and played it uh recently uh, so i did a playthrough this morning actually just to... <laughs> it's um it's even more jarring than the movie mm. so um, the the game yeah. is like directly based off of the books like heavily condensed because beat them up but um mm-hmm. it, basically you follow the same plot of the books where uh you basically you're playing as scott pilgrim and his merry band of friends and you have to uh defeat Ramona's seven evil exes and then the game ends but it's stylized as like a classic beat em up so like each level you go through fight a bunch of mooks and then you uh defeat the boss at the end and move on to the next level it's it's very simple in design um mm-hmm. it, this game is heavily inspired by River City Ransom um in a lot of ways like in terms of its like design philosophies where like you can kind of like cut through certain levels like there's shortcuts that you can go into like you can buy upgrades at stores uh throughout the levels uh, is that where that comes from 
Yeah, it was very much inspired off of like that style of beat 'em up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, explore an open world. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I think you know, getting into sort of the game of my experience, the the first thing that I was kind of thrown off by is the sheer lack of like direction in terms of the gameplay and the mechanics and what does what. Um, mm. I I wasn't really in the game for the story. The game doesn't really have a story. You know that you're defeating the seven ex uh, boyfriends of Ramona, um, but it doesn't. I I wouldn't say there's like any sort of cutscene being like, oh, this is what's happening or whatever. It's very much like you said. It's just to beat them up. You go somewhere, you beat up a bunch of dudes, you get a boss. The boss is an ex boyfriend. Yeah, you defeat them. There is like zero dialogue in this game. Like it is, yeah. it is about as, it, it is a throwback to like old school beat 'em ups as you can get. Yeah, um, and it does have a system in place where you have like you have health points, um, and then you have guts guts points, and mm. guts points are used to bring you back when you've been knocked down, um, and they're also used for like special moves you can summon in kit. Which is one of um, one of Scott's friends. I think is is her name Kit. Oh, uh, knives. Knives. Sorry, that's it. Yeah, I think Kim. Yeah, no knives. Yeah. So you summon knives, and each character has um, a different thing that happens when you summon knives. But again, that's not ever really explained. Like Ellie was playing as Scott, and whenever she summoned knives, it would. Like she would come down and then like breathe the word love and it would appear on the screen and Ellie was always like what does it do though like what's what's happened like I don't know what this does it's dependent on the character I will say a very nice touch is um, Knives is actually a DLC character that you can play as and mm. when, when she summons herself it's not her that shows up it's her mother which is kind of an amusing joke <laughs> um, that's brilliant and then the other one of the other secret characters is Nega Scott, and when Nega Scott summons knives, it's Nega Knives, which is also <laughs> pretty amusing. And it was just it was little things like you. So the shops were cool. We discovered that by mistake, and so I I am one. I am one of these people that likes being like, oh, I've I found this, and like we would find it looked like the fucking Rainbow Road track from Mario, and it would take you to another place. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like pigs that you could break to get the money to spend in the shops and the shops it was again something that we found by accident but there was lots of times when I was in the shops and it will give you a list of like five fins and I was like I don't know what to buy I don't know what any of these fins do and it's only when you drop like 15 bucks on something you're like oh okay I got 100 health points mm-hmm. and then like 30 guts or something like oh okay right so i know for next time but there's yeah. there's a lot of trial and error in this game in the sense of just buy it see what you get and then try and remember that that's the better thing to buy especially because some of them are incredibly vague because they're trying to go for like the art of funny rather than like being helpful yes and yeah. like one of my favorites is in the first level there's uh you can find wallace's secret store in like the later portion of the level which is like this hidden wall and all of the um items in there are like video game parody names like 
you got like I, I know one of them is like Speedy the Porcupine. That's a <laughs> ha, ha, funny. Uh, Neverending Fantasy is another is a good one. Um, and then like I think it's like Bionic Arm or something. So they're they're cute, like kind of clever. Um, did you know the best store in the game is in the first level? Really? Uh, it's the first one you run into, but you you can't buy anything because you have to pay for Scott's late fees. Yes. Yeah, the video store, right? Yeah. That I didn't store. Know that, no. So that store that's that's actually a bit of a hack to this game is um because the one thing about this game is this game is brutally hard when you're when yes. you're level one, <laughs> and um, the the hack to this game is you have to pay off Scott's late fees, and then you have access to like basically all a bunch of items that will basically max out your stats. Ah. Oh. See, it would have been nice to know that. Yeah, that's a that's a veteran thing that like I remember doing back in the day. Like I was actually kind of concerned. So there's actually a money cheat that you can enter into. Like if you want to max all the characters out on the, I forget what the code is. It's like some weird like Konami code ask like esque thing where you type mm-hmm. it in and then in exchange for a life, uh, Scott will just like explode into a bunch of toonies, which is like the biggest. Uh, it's the Canadian two dollar coin or whatever. Um, and it, you basically just get a ton of money and you can just do this on repeat until you run out of lives. Then you game over, but you keep all your money. <laughs> so you just keep doing yes. that over and over again to get yeah. all the money so you can pay off the late fees and then you can just max out the stats. Like that is like the, the best way, <laughs> excuse me. Um, like I'll, when I played this game the first time I played normally, uh, with Scott and then, um, I kind of was like, I don't want to do that for every character. So that I just like found the cheat and I was like, all right, max everyone out. Now I can just play the rest of the stories with everyone else. <laughs> so I, this game, will... go on. I was just going to say like, this game will kick your butt. It is very difficult at first. Yes. Yeah, so that's what I was going to talk about is like, I really fucking struggled with this game. Um, so for the most part, it is just a standard beat em up. Um, and you do, I think it's something that happened in the Turtles, the Shredder's Revenge game that came out last year as well. Like you, you level up and you gain access to a new move. So, uh, mm-hmm. all of the characters start to get things like they can attack people who are behind them without having to turn around and you get, um, like the ability to like run and throw an object like as a sort of spear and throw it directly at someone and there's all these other little things that you can do you can parry and everything um but this game is fucking hard like really fucking hard i think my honest opinion is i think the problem here is the game itself isn't poorly balanced the leveling up just isn't like a they didn't like program the leveling up quick enough so like it takes forever to level up mm-hmm. and because of that like you're always you always feel like you're like two ten levels behind in like every stage yeah. so it, okay i was gonna say because if you do max out your stats the game is completely a different <laughs> it's like see that's really interesting nightmare. so like the first the first time that we played um yeah, I played as Kim and Ellie played as Scott and we got up to the third level. So we just started the third level. So we'd done the street, finished that boss. That was fine. Um, well, it wasn't fine. That boss fight was actually really fucking hard with the flying little demon fins that you have to hit. 
Mm-hmm. They like sort of float around the stage area. Um, and then we left it and we come back the next day. And I wanted to play as Ramona. So I played Ramona, Ellie stuck with Scott. And it sent us back to level one. And yeah. I was like, oh, what? Each character has their own uh, stats. Yeah. So literally we got sent back to to level one ellie was still like level six or whatever she was with scott she still had all of her money but i was back to normal and we couldn't i couldn't then just take ramona to level three we had to complete levels one and then level two mm-hmm. and we had to do it all again um which was kind of annoying to be honest and yeah it's this game has some quirks to it that i think if it wasn't for the fact that the game itself is so very well constructed, it would be kind of annoying just because there is a lot of things in this game that are very infuriating. Yeah. So, I mean, I like the last beat em up I played was the Shredder's Revenge game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that, you can take any character to the, any level of the game. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Like, this time I want to try a different character. I want to see as much as I can. But then because it meant having to replay the first two levels, that kind of put me off. So I ended up just going back and playing as Kim and sort of carrying on that way. And then we were playing through the third level, which is one where you are essentially fighting fighting your way through a club. You get onto the Mm -hmm. stage and you have this like mini boss fight. And then... The actual boss of the level is this um, like big fucking dude is one of Ramona's ex-boyfriends. He plays this power chord and launches you through a wall. And then what follows is essentially like you're running from him and you have to try and break down these doors in order to avoid him because if he catches up with you, he will play another power chord that launches you through another set of walls and takes a whole chunk of health and his boss fight was so fucking hard. Yeah, because it's an Akira reference of all things. Um, yeah, he, he's like throwing shit at you and then there's all these other dudes who are like trying to fucking, they're trying to fight you while you're trying to fight him and then he will just like go crazy and like shoot his arm out across the screen and that will take a shit ton of health if that hits you. Uh, so- it's yeah, it's very relentless. This boss is one of the ones that I think tries to like parody the source material a little bit too much because this entire thing is basically just referencing like the fight, like the actual comic storyline where. Uh, so the character is a uh, Todd Ingram, and he's a uh, a vegan, and vegans have superpowers in the Scott Pilgrim universe. Yes, that's it. Yes, um, but he he cheated on his vegan diet, so the, the vegan police are coming to take his powers away. That's why the police show up randomly. That's and- it. Yes, fucking yep. hell, yeah, yeah. Um, I another- don't know why that didn't click in my head. Yeah, what's funny to me though is one of my favorite jokes is right before the scene where like he's like chasing you through the doors. Uh, there's like a bass battle on guitar hero yes <laughs> and he plays this extremely complicated bass solo and then when it gets to scott's turn it's this one note and you just hit him with your bass yeah you just hit him with a bass and then he gets really pissed off because the, jo- the joke in the series is scott can't play bass for shit <laughs> <laughs> but oh, um th- there's some good humor in this game like also when you beat uh todd you get a, an extra life which is a reference to the uh the books because he got an extra life for whatever reason 
see, I just, uh, man, I, I think for whatever reason, I just really, really struggled playing the game and it, so you get three lives and then your, your ally can try and revive you um, by like running over to you and sort of spam in circle to try and bring you back. Um, but the amount of times that like Ellie would get hit while she was trying to revive me or vice versa or um, what was really annoying as well is you can so I found out you can kind of juggle characters if they're at the side of the screen and you keep punching you can mm -hmm. kind of juggle and keep them in the air um, but the problem is the same works for objects that you can throw like chairs and trash cans and you can throw a trash can at something and it can bounce back and hit you or yes. if an enemy punches it it will hit you or if your ally punches it it will hit you or you can throw it at an enemy who moves and then it hits your ally so there was lots of times where i would be juggling someone and ellie would throw something and it would miss and then end up in my bit where i was juggling the dude and i would just be juggling this thrown object against the screen and back at myself and i'd take like 30 damage mm -hmm. and it so, was just like oh for god's sake when you max out your stats like your strength stack it's so high that actually like when you when you throw an item it moves at the speed of freaking light so like oh, Jesus. you'll throw something and it'll like just like zoom across the screen and then like it sometimes flies back and it's like holy crap <laughs> like <laughs> it, it's I'll save it for the end. My what my thoughts on this are, but there's um a, a an act, there is a specific way I find that most people enjoy this game. But I'll save it for more towards the end. Yeah, because I it was really when I was talking to Ellie about it because she was like, "Oh, what are you gonna like say about the game?" And I'm really conflicted about my time with the game because I can see why people enjoy it. And I can see that it can be enjoying, like enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But all that kept happening was I kept getting fucking hit by thrown objects or I'd punch an object back at myself or Ellie would try and revive me and the boss would just hit her or some random goon would punch her. And it, my time with the game was just more frustrating than anything, which kind of upset me because i really really wanted to enjoy my experience but i was just so frustrated at the way the game was playing not knowing what items did what not knowing the ins and outs of how to play that i just got fed up in the end yeah like so this game this game is complicated in a lot of ways because it was very clearly designed for fans of Scott Pilgrim, mm -hmm. which is, I think, why it has such a cult following as a game, like why people were so, they wanted it back so badly when it was gone. Um, to me, like, so I had, because like I had my PS3 version of this game for so long, I, all my stats were maxed on all the characters. So like whenever I would replay it, I was always maxed out. So I'm always like, oh, this game's a breeze. Like <laughs> I love playing this game like every now and then. Yeah. Um, when I bought the Switch version, like when it came back for the first time, and I 
I didn't even bother to do the cheat or anything. I was just like, oh, yeah, let's go right into this. Let's play it again. I'm like, I forgot how hard this game was. I was like, oh, now I remember why you do the cheat, because this game is bullshit hard. Yeah, um, and like, there's like, I mean, me and Ellie were like joking about, because we was comparing, it's like, there's one of the characters in, uh, one of the enemies in the first level, it's like a, a big dude who's got like glasses and like a trucker sort of flat cap looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were making jokes that he looks like um, Patrick from Fallout Boy. And there was all sorts of like in jokes we were making while we were playing the game. But in terms of like actually playing the game, like those dudes, they hit hard and they take a lot of damage to take down. So you will just be wailing on them forever. And mm-hmm. we did eventually beat the uh we did eventually beat todd that boss from the um third level and we started playing a fourth level and it was um roxanne who has like these ninjas that she has you fight and everything and it was kind of cool because like we was on a bus and then the bus got cut off and we was on the top of the bus and i got Mm. the katana the katana was a really great weapon and then there started to be ninjas that were like throwing fireballs at me. And that was a fucking annoying. And in the second level, there's the um, little like alien dudes who shoot the ray gun at you that like electrocutes you. And it's just, <laughs> there was so much happening on screen. And I just kept getting really annoyed that no matter where I went, I seemed to get hit by something. And then I'd yeah. be like juggled into one of these like dinosaurs that had turned red and was steaming across the screen. And then that would juggle me into something else. And I was just like, oh, fucking, I, I can't physically do anything here. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so I was, I was alluding to earlier, like there is a definitive way to play this game. Mm-hmm. The way that this game becomes a, the joy that like a lot of people describe it as is. Unfortunately, it takes a bit of setup because you have to like go through some hoops to get it here. But basically, you want to max out every character. So you got to do the money cheat, get all the stuff, unlock the store so then you can max everyone out. Then start from scratch and have every character level. I think it's like level 20 is like the highest level they can go. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes the entire experience because suddenly the game is perfectly balanced and um, everything's a breeze. And like, but it, it's a breeze in the sense that like you're never frustrated but like because the final levels are pretty challenging even at max level but it's not like a mm-hmm. infuriating challenge it's like oh this actually makes sense like this this feels right yeah i can take a challenge but it was like on that third level with todd before you get into um the sort of mini boss fight there's a bit where you're having this massive fight in front of the stage mm-hmm. and there's about 40 enemies you yep. were just all throwing shit at you and throwing punches. And there's also a mechanic where, say, there's like a bar stool on the floor. If you punch it, it will slide across the floor and you can hit enemies. But the enemies can do it to you as well. Yes. So it was it was literally like a bar brawl, which is, I guess, great in like on paper. But as the player, it's fucking pandemonium and it's really hard to track what's going on. Yeah, it it's it's one of those games where like it's fun to play once you figure it out, but it takes a lot of steps to really get there. Because mm-hmm. like all characters maxed out, like four players, this game is a blast. Like especially like at a party, just to do a run through. And that's what and 
that's what I was saying is like I can I can see it, you know, I can see that there is enjoyment to be had, but the level at which I'm playing it with just me and my partner, like level six characters. Yeah. It's not fun. No, it isn't. That's the that's what hurts this game the most because it takes there is such a wall of like you gotta there's like this mountain that you have to get over and once you've cleared the mountain it's great but like to get there is such a pain mm-hmm. and the worst part is too like this game like graphically looks amazing like for what it's, it's beautiful doing. to look at like 16-bit style well it's more 32 technically but they were going for a 16-bit aesthetic it looks great like there's so many mm-hmm. little in-joke references like you'll see a lot of like characters that have like fluid animation like sprite animation on the screen those are all characters from the books like you'll see a character be like oh I, that's uh, young neil over there just chilling or uh <laughs> or uh while you'll see wallace in the background which is hilarious if you play as wallace because like they didn't account for that so you'll see wallace running into wallace that's <laughs> that's always it's fun just, it's it, the only way i can explain it is that like the game is so law correct yes and that is ironically its greatest downfall mm, yeah i'd agree with that yeah so i think like i said i think ironically that's the that's the biggest downfall of the game mm. and it, it was really frustrating because I guess we're kind of like technically in our final thoughts and stuff now. So when I was thinking about my time with the game, I really wanted to come here today and be like, yeah, I had a ton of fun playing it because I like, I like the movie. Okay. I've not read the source material, but really enjoyed the movie. Enjoy the art style, the animations or the way that knives comes in and like everything about the game is really charming. Mm. But it's the actual play in the game that is the thing I can't say no to. Like, if you want to watch the game, you want to watch someone play this on, like, max characters and four people having a blast. Yeah, great. But actually playing it for the first time from level one characters, like, organically, not using the, the cheat, like, the money cheat and everything like that. It's, it's not a fun experience. Yeah. So I was I was actually kind of expecting this when we were coming into it because I've had this same like discussion with multiple people I've tried to get into this game <laughs> where they're like, I tried it. It sucked. I couldn't get past level three. And I'm just like, all right, come over to my place. We'll do a four player match and you'll you'll understand. And then they play maxed characters and like, this is great. And I'm like, yeah, doesn't it suck how hard it is to get here, though? <laughs> yeah. I might look into it. I might I might look into what the money cheat is and everything and pull it off and then you know, I might sit back down with my other half and play it again and try it because all of the pieces are there and I can see the pieces are there. It's just not fitting together at the moment. Mm. Oh, um probably should mention this too. What do you think of uh, the soundtrack? Soundtrack's fucking brilliant. So like absolutely people, amazing. Mm. For people who don't know, the soundtrack was actually composed by uh, a Ameri- American uh, chiptune band, Anamanaguchi. Um, and their whole gimmick is they're a like a pop punk band, but they use like a hacked Game Boy and NES to make like their sounds on stage. So that's why the soundtrack sounds like an old chiptune thing, because they're actually using that hardware for it. And I did not know that. 
I was just like, wow, this this music suits this art style perfectly. <laughs> they have original albums that literally just sound like this, and it's amazing. Like, it, they are a really underrated, uh, cool band. Like, it it really reminded me of, um, like, so I, I used to watch a lot of Game Grumps, mm-hmm. and like watching um, like Mega Man playthroughs, the like battle music from Mega Man and stuff like that. That very like fast-paced chip tune like action you can tell that shit's about to go down it it the music suits it perfectly it's really cool to know that that's where it come from like the sort of the background behind it it's also like it's like an indie kind of like an indie band similar to like the bands in like the scott pilgrim universe where they're just a bunch of like independence, like trying to make music and make it big, which is it's just kind of a nice touch. playing yeah. through some Game Boys. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. like honestly, for the longest time, the only remnant of this game that you could find was the soundtrack on Spotify, which must have been really frustrating for those who have played it to like listen to the music and be like, oh man, never. In Especially- theory, like people didn't know it was going to come back, so. Yeah, like the people who accidentally deleted it, like not thinking about it, and then like they were like, "It's gone forever now." Yeah, that's crazy. So, like, I the... did that with PT. I was so dis- yep. I was so upset. I, I never downloaded. It. I missed it. And like when the second I was gonna play it, it was right after Konami delisted. I was like, it's "Bastards." <laughs> <laughs> um. So, final thoughts from yourself as a wrap up of like the people who. It's one of these games seems to be one of those like if you know you know people who know about this game and have played it previously know that they like it. So if you was to give a roundup final thoughts for someone who was looking to play this for the first time, because I played this through PlayStation Plus collection, it's free on there. So if someone thinks, oh hey, I'll I'll give it a go, like how hard can it be? What would your kind of final thoughts be? My final thoughts on this game are this is a great game that had a lot of love and care put into its design and development that is unfortunately held back by some frustrating choices that I feel like were designed specifically to be a homage to like classic arcade difficulty which holds this game back from being an accessible game because unfortunately the best way to play this game is to basically have someone who already beat it <laughs> play like let you <laughs> use their save file <laughs> unfortunately yeah yeah i definitely knowing now about the way to go about it and to you know max out all the characters and stuff i will try it i'm not fully given up on the scott pilgrim game just yet um but that's enough about scott pilgrim let's jump into the game that i recommended to you which was uh pokemon sword and shield
So, very, very different. <laughs> a very, very different game. Uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield was released in 2019 by Game Freak and published by the Pokemon Company and Nintendo for the Nintendo Switch. It's the eighth generation of Pokemon, I believe. Yes. Yep. Gen 8. Gen 8. And the second only ever game to be on a home console, which I didn't know until I was looking at this Wikipedia page, which was wild to me. The second main series game, anyways. Yeah, because I guess you had like you had like Pokemon Coliseum and or Stadium or whatever it was, um, depending where you are, it depends what it was called. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's your history with Pokemon Sword and Shield? So, well, I guess Pokemon in general as well. My history with Pokemon is really complicated. Um, so I missed the first two generations as a kid because I think I was just too young for them at the time because. Pokemon debuted over here in 99 with Red and Blue, I want to say, and then Gold and Silver were like 2000, 2001-ish. It's probably um, about that, yeah. I missed those two because I was I was into other things at the time. The first Pokemon I played was uh, Ruby and Sapphire on the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. And I remember... So what's funny about Pokemon is there are like different phases of like the fan base where like you had the Gen 1 and 2 fans who played those games to death got extremely burned out, didn't play Gen 3. But then there's a group of people who started with Gen 3, and then they're very, like me, who are like very defensive of Gen 3, and like it's their favorite in the series. And then a lot of the people that were burned out and skipped Gen 3 came back for Gen 4, mm-hmm. I've noticed. So it's kind of like Pokemon fans are very all over the place in terms of like what the games they like. For me, I played pretty much every entry from gen 3 onward because like right after gen 3 we got the gen 1 remakes which phenomenal remakes mm-hmm. gen 4 the gen 2 remakes and then black and white which i think is the series peak honestly um because then we got x and y which was the series first 3d entry and i remember being super hyped for that one and i played the hell out of x and y even though that i don't think the game is the greatest game ever made um and then the uh the ruby and sapphire remakes of course i was day one for those because favorite game in the series of course i'm gonna play the remake and then we get to sun and moon and this is where things start to get weird i get (laughs) sun and moon pretty hyped like new pokemon like bought it day one was uh showed up at the GameStop. it was all adults one kid so Typical Pokemon. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Typical Pokemon shenanigans. Um, I got home, put it in, put three hours into it, put it down, and just never picked it up again. Wow. That disappointed. I, I got to the first... Are they called Island Challenges, whatever the gyms are in that game? I've not played it. <laughs> no, okay. So they changed the gyms. Like They're not like normal gyms anymore. They have these weird challenge things. And I got to that, and I was just kind of like... I'm just not feeling this anymore. And I was just kind of like, I'll get back to it another time. And I just put it down, completely forgot about it. And this was like kind of this point where I kind of hit this wall of Pokemon where like nothing about the series excited me anymore. Like I was always like, this was also around the point where one one of the, it's not really a secret with me. Like Game Freak's probably my least favorite developer of all time. Mm -hmm. They frustrate the hell out of me. Um, and I was, 
I kind of like was just looking at Pokemon games a lot more critically. I think I just I hit that point of aging where you just like the things from your childhood just aren't as fun as they used to be anymore. You have to justify spending your adult money, and it's really hard to justify spending your adult money on Pokemon sometimes. Yeah, and it was funny because like Sun and Moon, like I just something about the, the that game just did nothing for me, and I was like, all right. So then I bought the the re-release updated version of it, and oh, same. like Ultra Sun and Moon yeah. or whatever, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's just the same game again. Never mind, and I just completely. Well, that was sixty dollars down the drain, or whatever it was, because <laughs> um, I don't—I'm a collector. I don't return games. Um, and then we get the Let's Go, and I'm like, Let's Go was a game that I was like, I want to love this game, but I hate it because of how they did it, because <laughs> it was the right. Pokemon Go shit that I was like, everything about this. Oh, game you didn't was, like that integration? No, nah, like the game. Everything about the game was amazing, like the sound, like design, graphics, mm-hmm. like setup. I just hated how like the best way to play the game was in handheld mode because dealing with the freaking Joy-Con motion and stuff was not... I wasn't going to be able to finish, finish the, that game doing that. But the game was so beautiful, I wanted to play it on the TV screen. So I'm like, I can't play it the way I want to because it's just frustrating to play it that way. Yeah, and I got turned off by that. And then we get to Sword and Shield, and like by this point, I'm just so sour on Pokemon that I'm like, I saw Sword <laughs> and Shield... I still bought Shield Day One because I'm a massive masochist, I guess. <laughs> but um, I bought it and I legit was gonna put it in my system, and I just was like, I'm just not feeling it right now. So I put it on the shelf, and I said I'd get to it later. And I didn't realize later was gonna be the last month, <laughs> <laughs> like four years time. Yeah, which is hilarious because. My sister loves the game, and she's played it from beginning to end. Like, cause my sister's more into Pokemon than I ever was. Wow! And so before, it's... go on, go on. I was just gonna say before we get into it, I wanted to say the the best way to sum up my opinions on this game at the time were me and Alex on gaming collecting did a series where we literally discussed every Pokemon like in the Pokedex. Like, we went from region to region. For this one, I legit fell asleep in the middle of. <laughs> Alex, oh, that says everything to that. <laughs> Alex literally was like, "Are you asleep?" And I was like, "Huh?" And I was like, "Oh, okay. uh, yeah." So, Sword and Shield, I just for some reason had this weird like, "This game's gonna be terrible. I don't understand it." Blah blah blah. Um, which is hilarious because I didn't touch it, so I had no reason to have these these opinions. You know what I think it was? I think I was sour about the um, initially it not having all the Pokemon. Mm, that think, was actually rather a controversial choice. I think just that alone soured me to the entire thing and made me not want to play it. Mm-hmm. Understandable. I've grown up a little, and now I don't. <laughs> I don't care that much anymore. I'm like, whatever. It's a game. But yeah, so I saw it on your list. You sent me, and I was like, you know what? This is now the time to finally sit down and play this thing. It's really interesting that you talked about the different types of Pokemon fans because I started off my first ever Pokemon game was Pokemon Yellow. That was like the first mm. one that I jumped into. Um, loved it. And then I played Gold. Absolutely loved that. My favorite generation, my favorite game. Didn't touch Pokemon after that. Didn't play Gen 3, didn't play Gen 4. Um, it was actually when... So me and Ellie were, this was years ago, we was at her mum's house, we was just handing out 
and was looking through Netflix and Pokemon Black and White, the anime, was on Netflix. And I think it was... Um, there was like a still from one of the episodes with Meloetta on it. And Ellie was like, oh my God, like that's, that's a beautiful Pokemon. Who is she? So we started watching it. Ellie got really into it. Um, and then I bought a copy of the DS game and started playing a bit of it and then decided, I don't know why I decided to just stop and move on to Amiga Ruby, but I moved on to Amiga Ruby and Amiga Ruby took over my fucking life. Like hmm. that was my first, like I started getting into competitive Pokemon. I was like trying to do the Pokedex fully for the first time. Um, and then kind of like you, when I started looking at the other Pokemon games, started looking at, you had like black and white two or whatever, and you had sun and moon and bits like that. None of them were really grabbing my attention. And then Sword and Shield came along, and I was like, again, like you, I was like, eh, okay, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling Pokemon at the moment. And a mate of mine had bought it, and he was showing me um, they were playing one of the raids. They were doing like a Dynamax raid in the wild area, mm-hmm. and he was like, "We've only got three people. Like, we need a fourth. Like, would you, would you, are you getting it?" And I was like. Do you know what? I was on the fence, but I'm quite interested to see how this like cooperative online bit works. So I'll give it a go. Um, and so that was how I ended up buying it. I bought Shield because that boy is the best boy. And <laughs> you know, I will say I've not touched Scarlet and Violet. Um, no. Not picked that up. I did pick up Legends Arceus or Arceus or however we pronounce it that's a different conversation but yeah so sword and shield that was um that was kind of partly my history with it i am one of these people that is like gen one and two are the best gens i am 100 percent one of those people hmm. um so let's talk about sword and shield a little bit in terms of the gameplay wise it's pretty much the same as you would expect um yeah, thankfully they didn't keep any of the let's go shit because I, yes. I would have put it down in a minute. I would have been like, nope, not doing this again. So it's set in the Gala region, which is apparently based on the United Kingdom. I've heard I, it's like Scotland. Maybe I can see that more. Yeah. I mean, the bits of the UK that I'm from, it's nothing like at all, but maybe the more kind of rural aspects of it, definitely. Um one thing I noticed immediately was they use a lot of slang that like is I'm assuming from a, a European style because like they're saying a lot of things that I, I as an American am like, did he just call me pants? <laughs> like <laughs> I legit didn't know what that meant. And I just kind of was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, yeah, that would be the, uh, the Europeanness of it. Yeah. Which I, I find cute. Like I'm like, that's, that's nice. Cause like, one thing I loved about Black and White is Black and White, the Innova region, is supposed to be like America. So that was like a, a nice like touch because there was a lot of things where I was like, oh, I get that. That's like America, like little jokes like that. Mm. Uh, X and Y was like supposed to be France, which was interesting. Like I like that starting with Gen 5, they were 
they went outside of Japan and were going to like different regions that were like specific to other parts of the world so they could get more creative. It wasn't really until you said it that I thought about it, but yeah, I mean, I just thought they were trying to be like sort of with the times and you know attracting the younger audience, and that's why they mm. would. But no, yeah, that is pretty much just talking like Europeans and talking like British people. Well, there's actually so th- this isn't sword and shield, but th- this is just something I'd like to bring up just because it pertains to this conversation. Um, there's a nice Easter egg in black and white that I really enjoy, where you actually run into a former team rocket grunt who do you remember in gen one there was the the grunt that you run into who speaks in incredibly broken english like yes so that grunt is actually in the black uh the uh inova region and the the it's kind of the joke that they're i I don't know if this was like intentional at the time or they just kind of made it into a joke but he references that he was a team rocket grunt but he was an american so that's why he didn't he's because Gen 1 is takes place in Japan. It was implied that he was speaking really bad Japanese. And that's why <laughs> I was like, that is such a nice touch. Like, I wonder who thought of that to like include that. But that's actually a very nice. Yeah. Yeah. See, because I, I never really played much black and white. So I wouldn't have even picked up on that. And actually, I could played a little bit and then Ellie got obsessed with it. And that was that. Um, so for the by and large, Pokemon Sword and Shield is the same. Um, you're catching Pokemon, trying to complete the Pokedex. You have effectiveness and all of that stuff. Um, I guess it gets different when you start getting into Gigantamaxing Pokemon during the Pokemon battles. It's basically this game's version of like the the Ultra Forms from uh, or Mega Evolutions, whatever they were in uh, X and Y. Yes, yeah. So it's kind of like. Um, you will Gigantamax a Pokemon and then they will normally take on a new form. They get access to new, more powerful moves. But it's also this weird strategy of like, okay, well, you don't necessarily want to shotgun the Gigantamax and kind of do it on the first Pokemon. It's like, what Pokemon in my lineup is going to be the most beneficial? Because not all of them can Gigantamax. There's only mm. set ones. Um what was your initial kind of reception to the Gigantamaxian and that new twist on Pokemon? I won't lie. I thought it was a gimmick. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't affect, it's not, it doesn't negatively affect the game. So I have no problem with it, but I was kind of like, this could have just been the mega forms. They, they just, honestly, when I saw it, I was like, this is just cause they want to show off that what the switch can do. Yeah. Which fine. I have no problem with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's here and there. It's not. It's, I didn't really think anything much of it. it kind of like you, when I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, it's Mega Revolution. Like, fine. They get big now. <laughs> like... They get big, yeah. Um, and so that and the wild area are kind of like the two big changes to Pokemon with this sort of mm. installment. So the wild area was very interesting to me because I played... Arceus before I played this game so I was very much when I got there I was like ah I see where Arceus got its idea from (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh, I guess for you it was a bit of a different experience because I played them the other way around I had played Shield first and then played Arceus so what was you thinking going into the wild area um so I guess like so with Arceus like to me like that game was 
to me the first time Game Freak really tried in like years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was like, okay, this, they're trying something unique. And then I played this and I was like, oh, I guess it's not as unique as I thought. It was actually unique here. Um, I kind of, I like the idea of like a big open area where you can find all sorts of different Pokemon and there's kind of like, it's just a complete kind of free for all like training area. Um, I, I enjoy that. I feel like it was very half baked here though. Mm-hmm. Um, no, which isn't a bad thing. I, I mean, they tried something new to see how it would go. Clearly it was successful because they reused it for Arceus, but, um, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I kind of liked the idea. I kind of now wish I played this game when it first came out because I feel like it would have hit me differently. Mm-hmm. But I, I like it. I I think it's a smart progress. It, like it's one of my biggest problems with Pokemon is I feel like they don't take enough risks. Yeah. And the things they do try to innovate, like with say Sun and Moon, the gym battles, I just feel are unnecessary. It's so this was- weird because like the Pokemon fan base is so fucking diehard like you can talk to people who like got sword and shield day one and they'll be like yeah i bought it day one it was pre-ordered i got it at midnight i was there and then you'll be like oh what'd you think of it and i'll be like oh it's fucking shit but they've still bought it they've still played it they've still done all of the gyms they've played the online bits they've put their hours into it so (laughs) exactly bought the dlc uh which is something i'll touch on later because that was wild to me um but it's just kind of interesting because of all the fan bases, it feels like Pokemon is the one that could be taking the most risks. They have the most loyal fan base. And so, like you said, it is frustrating when they don't, which is why when I played the Wild Area for the first time, I was like, oh, wow, this is fucking amazing. Mm. Um, and it sounds really silly to say it, but like just being able to see Pokemon in the wild to actually see the sprite and be like oh no fuck i'm gonna avoid you and then they start chasing you and you're like no fuck off like leave me alone um it just added like a new aspect to playing pokemon oh yeah like there was a point where i was in there and i was exploring around i didn't realize like the levels were very scaled differently depending on which area you were in oh yes yeah and i wandered all the way to the highest level area and i was like got i got caught in a random encounter and i was like holy shit, that thing's level 50. <laughs> like, just straight up wiped my team. I was yeah, like, if you go to the fucking later areas, they will knock you for sick. Like, they will absolutely destroy you. I laughed so hard. I was like, okay, that's why you're not supposed to explore everything, I guess, now. <laughs> it's like, listen to the instructions. Don't don't be the don't be a hero. Because <laughs> I was like, okay, lesson learned. That's not for me yet. Yes. And so the wild area, along with seeing so i guess for anyone who's not played or sort of isn't familiar the wild area is uh the online area of the pokemon sword and shield games it's the area where you can encounter other trainers you can not battle with them but you can see them in the world and you can see the sprites of pokemon and they will sort of chase you if they see you and like i said it's it's a very different aspect to it but the other thing that it brings is the Dynamax raids. I don't know if you've played any of the Dynamax raids, you've done any of the online bits at all. I tried I tried to do one and no one showed up, so I was kinda like, okay. <laughs> and I just kinda let, let it go. <laughs> I was like, alright, I guess I'm not doing that. <laughs> so. Don't use the AI. That's the one thing I'll say. The AI in the Dynamax raids are fucking awful. So okay. a Dynamax raid is basically it's 
a 4v1 so it will be four trainers against one giant pokemon it's essentially like a gigantamax pokemon but they're naturally that size um and you don't know what you're encountering it will just give you a rating of how hard it is mm-hmm. and then you can either use ai or you can use your friends to team up and try and take down this pokemon uh, you only get one pokemon to take in with you um and then it's essentially trying to build the best team that's the most well-rounded and if your pokemon faints you do eventually come back after a couple of rounds so you basically just have to hope that your allies don't die during that time Mm. i use this a lot and so did my friends because when you complete a dynamax raid you get a shit ton of exp candies oh okay you get loads and depending on how difficult the pokemon is depends on what you get so if you start doing some of the four and five star you can get like five or six xl candies and with two or three xl candies you can get a brand new hatched pokemon up to like level 30 or 40 just with the candies alone huh that's uh that seems extremely broken i'm not gonna lie it is but from what i understand it's only broken if you're not doing the competitive side of stuff because the competitive side of stuff you start getting into the evs and the ivs and battling with other pokemon and everything but in terms of like for me i was just leveling up pokemon and making them evolve and shit i was just hatching a pokemon or using wonder trade as well so i'd get like a level one pokemon through wonder trade and then just feed it a shit ton of exp candies and level it up and evolve it and be like oh cool right now that's another one for the pokedex see when i was playing around in the the wild area i was just i was just digging around in there for a good like hour so like by the time i was done like all my pokemon were already up to like level 20 (laughs) so i was like i "I think i might have over leveled here a bit oh well let's see how it goes and then there's two encounters with Hop after uh, the rival for this game, after uh, you leave the wild area, and I just curb stomped him both times. <laughs> I was just like, "Oops, oh well." I had to get those badges so they keep listening to me. I also curb stomped uh, Team Yell. I, I, I didn't think I didn't think we were we would ever find a team worse than Team Flare, but oh my god, yes. So <laughs> I was on that note. That sounds like a good time to talk about. Um, because I mean, the story of Pokemon itself, except for the ending, isn't really much. You're trying to become the champion, and there's a team who are doing nefarious things. It's all very Pokemon, but Team Yell isn't isn't it's not just, a good team. They're just fanboys. <laughs> That's literally all they are. Yeah, oh. I mean, Team Flare was bad, but at least Team Flare tried to be evil like these guys are just a bunch of annoying pricks that show up every now and then and then just leave yeah i was trying to find out like from what i remember they don't really do anything from what alex told me like she was saying like they're just kind of an annoyance and like that's about it like they're really not a devout group of hooligans who act as marnie's unintentional fan base and are determined to stop anyone else from completing the challenge. So they are literally there just to stop you from becoming the new champion. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were, when I saw that was the team, I was like, okay, they've run out of ideas. We've got fanboys. <laughs> We've got fanboys as villains now. We are now at the bottom of the barrel. Um, the game does get a little bit interesting towards the end because Team Yell stop kind of being the main focus and oh god I don't wait I need to remind myself uh, so Zakian and Samazenta are the two legendary Pokemon um, yes. Sword Dog and Shield Dog is, is what I always called them Shield Dog is best boy simple as <laughs> um, but they kind of become the main focus because now you find out that they are um, there are artifacts and you what happens all i remember is that shieldbert and sword whatever his name is turn up the two dumb twins who turn up and they yeah. steal one of the artifacts for one of the dogs i don't remember that at the end of that it's like that's the bit i remember is that basically there are two brothers they steal one of the artifacts so if you're playing shield they steal the artifact for the sword dog yes and then they are using the energy from the artifact to force pokemon to dynamax so that's kind of it reminded me kind of of like the early early team rocket with like giovanni making the like evil dark pokemon Mm. Um, it was that kind of idea of like, oh, we're going to force these Pokemon to Dynamax because that will send them into a frenzy and it will make them crazed. And then people will see that these dogs that they pray as, like they hold as like the saviors of the land aren't as good because the Dynamaxing comes from them in some way. It was very, very convoluted. Yeah. It... <laughs> Unfortunately for Pokemon games, like they want to tell these complex stories, which I give them credit for. Like Game Freak, as much as I don't like Game Freak, they do try sometimes with the stories. If Game Freak actually writes the stories, I don't really know actually how that <laughs> the weird complexity of how Pokemons are made goes. But I feel like they they they're always going to forever be stuck by the fact that they hit their peak with Black and White because Black and White I still think has the most compelling story in a Pokemon game ever. Mm-hmm. And every game since has been kind of like they've either tried really hard to like replicate that or they just don't know what to do. So they go back to the by the basics Pokemon storyline where you do the gyms and then there's something that sort of happens in the background. I mean, you know, Legends Arceus, you end up with like a weird phone that is actually Arceus and that's how you time travel. Yeah, <laughs> I will say... um one thing that had me kind of scared with this game was when I got to the first, uh, when you get through the wild area and then you get to the, the, the gym kind of place. I thought the gyms were going to be some convoluted shit again, like they were in uh, Sun and Moon. And I was very much like, oh no, this is going to kill. This <laughs> no, it's just a glorified cutscene. Like you don't even fight the gym when you get there first. Yep. It's a big soccer reference, I think. Yes. Yes. I know nothing about stick and ball sports, so I kind of like popped in there and I was like. I think this is soccer slash football. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so I remember some sort of sports reference. I mean, I I finished this game. I'm not gonna lie to you. I've played this game. I finished the game, did the online stuff, and then when my friends put it down, I stopped. And 
much like many of the other Pokemon games I've played, the the story isn't memorable to me, so I don't remember. All I remember is that there are oh there you go sword swordwood and shieldbert because they look like fucking Jedward, which is a really really weird reference. But for anyone who doesn't know, are you are you familiar with the the horror that is Jedward? No. <laughs> so oh, okay. I Oh yeah, look it up. So uh, Jedward, they are a twin duo that um, rose to fame on like either X Factor or Britain's Got Talent or some sort of co- like talent Wik- competition. Wikipedia says uh, X Factor. Yeah, um, but they look exactly like the two brothers from Sword and Shield. They've got like yeah. all <laughs> fucking spiky blonde hair. They do. <laughs> and they're just goofy looking and they talk really weird. Um, it's just Jedward. And <laughs> that's when I remember being like, oh, wow, this is this game is not good plot wise. <laughs> this game is very dated <laughs> and it's not that old. <laughs> um, but what I found personally is that the post-story stuff is more of what I enjoyed. So doing um, the Battle Tower and doing all of the sort of wild area Dynamax and stuff with friends and that, I got a lot more from that than I ever did from playing the plot of the game through. Hmm. I might have to, because I haven't finished this game exactly yet. I'm like a little over halfway through, so I'll probably, I I do plan on finishing this because I'm interested enough that I feel like I'll finish it. I'll mm-hmm. actually finish a Pokemon for once. Like, <laughs> shocker. <laughs> but uh, Once you finish, you get access to this, like, battle tower where you mm-hmm. can basically go and do, like, a continued onslaught of, of enemy, of, like, Pokemon battles, basically. Um, and you earn points, and then you can use those points to trade in for, like, items and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but you can also, like, rent teams... So they'll be like, oh, do you want to rent this team or that team? And you can use points to rent teams and stuff as well. Mm. It's just a very interesting kind of... Because I, the thing for me was that every time I sort of got into competitive Pokemon, I started to see about like EVs and IVs and breeding and perfect stats and natures. And and then I just got really bored and stopped doing it. Yeah, I've never been into competitive battling. <laughs> I just I can't do it. No. So the Battle Tower was the place where I was like, okay, this is my kind of competitive. I can just come in and like stomp school children <laughs> and then leave. Yep. <laughs> um, so go on. I will say a thing about this game that I was pleasantly surprised with. I actually think the the level like dungeon areas and like the world is actually pretty interesting to explore. Like they actually do a lot of cool like stuff with like the city like towns and stuff where like you kind of can like explore around. There's like little hidden areas that you can find by looking around. Um, I'm very I was very pleasantly like surprised with that because the last I mean because X and Y kind of had a couple cities that felt like that, but for the most part it was your standard Pokemon where it's like, everything's basically right there. Mm-hmm. Um, graphics are okay. I don't think this game looks as great as um, Arceus does, um, no. it, but it's, it's passable. I, ironically, I think let's go looks better in some aspects, but yeah, it's this, this game's art style is really weird is because visually there's just something off about it. 
and I was never quite able to place my finger on what it was that was off. I just don't think it runs on a good engine, to be honest. Like, it feels very... It, it, it very much feels like this was Game Freak's first real attempt at something like this, and they didn't really... Like, there's a reason why for Arceus they just lifted the Breath of the Wild engine, because <laughs> for the, what they were trying to do, I don't think they had the capabilities to actually code it properly. And clearly, clearly with Scarlet and Violet, they didn't, because that game was a broken mess when it came out. Yeah, as I say, I remember getting um, a very, very choppy frame rate going from outside of the wild area into the wild area because they tried to make it seamless mm. and you can tell that the switch kind of struggles with that seamless like going from having just random encounters with a loading screen that shows you the pokemon you're fighting to oh there's actual sprites that are running around and chasing the character and kind of doing their own thing i like that they brought back the customizable like main characters too like you can make the main character look however you want i spent a stupid amount of time shopping in this game i remember that much well because i like i got to the first town and i like saw the store for like clothes because that was a thing in x and y uh that they first introduced there so i was like oh cool we can customize again and make the characters all unique and i spent like 10 minutes like making everything exactly how i wanted to and completely just depleted my funds and i was like <laughs> oh i guess i don't have pokeballs <laughs> But then they just hand them out to you like candy in this game, so... Yeah, they're not in short supply, I know. I do remember... I do remember, as much as I didn't enjoy the story, I do remember spending a lot of time just kind of running around exploring stuff. Like you were talking about... What is it the main town that's got the industrial um, style to it? So it's got all like the big industrial wheels and the bridges and everything... I believe so because that's where, like the the big uh, the soccer stadium is. Um, right. Yes. Yeah, um, I remember spending a lot of time running around hmm. that town. I like that one. I think it's very well done. Uh, I like the music in this game too. It, it doesn't have the best sound quality. Like it still feels like Nintendo doesn't give Game Freak a budget for anything. But um, the it's actual really interesting, isn't it? Because like hmm. there's like three people who are involved in the making of these games, and it doesn't ever seem like they're actually talking to one another. Yeah, like, it, I remember, like, listening to the music, I'm like, the compositions are really good, but it still sounds like it's coming out of a Game Boy at times. <laughs> like, they're using, like, the lowest quality synths and stuff, and I'm like, nowadays, everything is real instruments, so I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on there, but mm -hmm. the compositions themselves are very nice. Like, I the the theme that plays in the that forest that you go into, like, right at the start of the game where you encounter the legendary, I believe, um that that whole theme is like beautiful i just um wish the quality was better <laughs> yeah that was what was the weird thing for me is that i remember being very charmed by the game and having a lot of fun exploring but also just kind of mashing b a lot to get through the dialogue yeah, another thing that really threw me off too is the opening of this game when you first start it has like this cutscene that plays with uh, the uh, the president of the corporation is talking to you in the stadium, and oh there, yeah, there's no voice acting in this game, so it's just him with silence, like talking, like lip, moving his yes. lips, his text, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, like Nintendo, you got to stop being afraid of voice acting and just like, like add it here because like it's very jarring like especially in a 2019 game 
Yeah. Like 2019 was the same year that uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses came out, and that game is like fully voiced. So it's like such a jarring switch going from that to this, and it's like it's like they're it's like they're just that one step where they're just afraid to like move past like 95. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. It's really weird. It's really weird. Um, is there anything else you would like to discuss before we go into like final thoughts about? Pokemon Sword and Shield. Uh, which starter did you pick? I picked. Oh fuck! Who did I pick? I want to say I picked the Water type. I can't remember his name. I think it's like Swaddle or something, or Swoodle. Yes, yeah, because I ended up with the like emo gecko looking dude. Yes. Um. So I won't lie. I didn't like any of the starters in this game. I didn't particularly uh, like any of them. <laughs> I went with... So I always pick the grass type, so I just picked uh, Grookey. Oh. Uh, the, the grass Yeah, I picked, I picked Swaddle, yeah. I... Yeah, the, the starters, I wasn't really impressed in this game. I, granted, I haven't really cared about the starters in any of these games since Black and White, <laughs> so... Did you not, have you got the final evolution yet for your grass starter? No, I'm still in the second evolution. It looks fucking weird, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I've heard. Uh, oh, actually, let's talk about DLC. How do you feel about Pokemon having DLC? Um, I'm interested in the fact that Nintendo cares about DLC now. Like, I think it's a cool it's a cool touch. Like, it, it kept this game relevant for longer. Mm. I will say, and it wasn't. It was nice that they didn't like basically force. They didn't do like a uh, like an Ultra Moon, Ultra Sun, making you buy basically the same game again, just with some slightly different content. Yeah, um, I have no problem with it. I think it's it's Nintendo finally moving on and actually get getting on with the modern times, which I I appreciate. Yeah, I think that was kind of my sentiment. Is that I remember not particularly caring that there was DLC, but being very surprised that. Nintendo had made that move like you said because they were kind of like the last developer publisher who hadn't done any kind of real DLC in like mainline games they had like some cosmetic bits here and there but this is like whole new areas and, and new challenges and a new story and everything so yeah it was it's very interesting I thought for me personally to see them do that it's weird because like Nintendo is super behind on everything and like they always do everything like really backwards compared to like most like Microsoft and Sony. Um, but for whatever reason, they figured out DLC like cuz they seem to do DLC better than everybody lately. Yeah, I've not played it, but apparently like the the I see the Crown of Tundra or something I think it's called and the Iron Isles or something. Like apparently they're fucking amazing. I didn't mm. I was fully checked out of sword and shield by the time that the dlc came about um i can't but, speak for this game but like they did a similar thing with fire emblem three houses and it was very worth it just for the uh the bonus content mm, alone, so i mean i'm having to fight off the temptation to buy the mario kart 8 booster yeah set. <laughs> because that's i'm a like of, oh, that's a lot, a lot of, of value for money that is plus they just done diddy con as a playable character and i'm a sucker for diddy con so Okay, um, I'm going to get into... I'll do my final thoughts on Sword and Shield first, and then uh, we'll jump into how you feel. Um, 
I think overall, like I said, the game is very charming and just the way that it looks, the environments that it has, the music that it plays. The wild area is a very nice touch um, and is nice to see Pokemon taking, albeit a very small risk, but actually kind of taking a risk in their game. Um, the the story of this game sucks. Um, not that anyone plays Pokemon for the story, but it's just nonsensical and just yeah, it did not hold my attention whatsoever. I did not care about the story of this game. If I'm honest, if the wild area is what's interested you about this game, just go and play Legends Arceus. That would be my kind of advice because Arceus takes that environment and makes it into an area where it's limited so they can actually sort of focus on that area properly it's not worrying about being seamless and it just takes everything that was good about the wild area and just improves on it even more Mm. um unfortunately i would say yeah just to finish i'd say sword and shield wasn't enough to kind of make me fall back in love with pokemon like i did with amiga ruby or back with the original two generations and from what I've seen, Scarlet and Violet hasn't either. So I'm still, I'm still holding out for the Pokemon Renaissance whenever that does come about. And Legends seems like the beginning of the Renaissance, but I, don't, I feel like we're not quite fully there just yet. So, hmm. yeah, I think overall my advice would be not to play Sword and Shield to go and play Legends Arceus instead. Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, because I had zero expectations for this game going into it, I'd like to say I was actually pleasantly surprised that I didn't hate it um, playing. I actually was kind of like, you know, if I had played this back when it first came out, I probably would have really enjoyed it. Um, it's still, it has a lot of things that are the reasons why I'm not a huge Pokemon fan anymore going on. Like there's just mm-hmm. a lot of things that with this game where I'm kind of like, that's lame or... I don't get the appeal. Like I, I question like why the old games, because in reality, like it's not really doing much different from the older games, but there's just something about those games that I feel like held up better. But at the same time, like I never was really frustrated or like bored while playing. Mm-hmm. So I get it that. Um, would I recommend this game? Probably not. Like I'd say play Arceus, because it's just more interesting or even I'd even say play let's go because at least let's go is more cohesive even if it's a I don't like the gameplay very much mm. let's go is basically yellow isn't it it's like a it's, cheapy version of yellow it's a remake of yellow but they they changed the gameplay significantly where it's like you don't battle wild Pokemon anymore now you just catch them oh okay yeah, it's weird. Um, it aesthetically, it's amazing. Like, it looks great. Mm. It sounds great. Uh, the gameplay is just frustrating. Fair enough. Okay, well, that was our thoughts on Scott Pilgrim, the game, and Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, before we sign off, first of all, thank you for coming on and having a chat with me, Bill. And yeah, no problem. Thank you for uh, letting me know about the the Scott. 
pilgrim hack and and kind of get me a bit motivated to stick with the game and see if I see what I think of it once I'm fully stacked out. Um, do you want to just sort of let the people know again where they can find you, what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, like I said earlier, I'm the co-host of two podcasts, the gaming collecting podcast and the 3DO experience. Uh, both can be found on pretty much all of the podcasting platforms, uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Um, you can find pretty much all of our links via Linktree slash The Barber Who Games. Uh, we have a Discord server where we kind of just hang out and do... Alec, my sister Alex likes to post really cursed images all the time. It's it's a good time. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, though, like gaming collecting releases every Saturday and 3DOs every Wednesday. Um, it's a fun time. You learn about an obscure console and <laughs> you get to see two siblings mess with each other for an hour every week. <laughs> Uh, it's um i'm definitely interested in checking out 3do now because i did not realize i knew it was an obscure console but i didn't realize how interesting it is in terms of like gaming history and stuff so mm. and i can definitely vouch for the chaos of of the gaming and collecting um so yeah definitely go check those out but thank you to uh, bill again for joining me Thank you to you guys for listening. And we will catch you guys in the next episode of Get Wrecked. Bye now. Have a good one.